Brings the dummy and fights it over. And Conway is in. The body just being played again. And now it is Fulham. They won't stop him. Wide ball. And here's Israel Folau. They hold on to him. Earls. And it spits out. Is that it? Yes, it is. Not gone. Gee, with another Irish hand in that. Knocked on by Australia. The Irish are smiling. The Hard Yards, brought to you by Sports Joe. Got to the short side. Oh, it's not got to the short side. It's got to the trailer. And Tony Murray. I don't think we met before. But I'm the referee on this team, not you. Hi, Rob. Zeebs here. Just want to discuss the captaincy next. He's calling. Oh, and Ringrose comes through. Oh, that is brilliant from Ringrose. Ringrose is going here. What a score. You're very welcome to the Hard Yards. I'm Andy McGeady. Uh Ireland were asked an awful lot of questions in Brisbane. And in the lead up to the second test in Melbourne, they answered pretty much every single one of them and they posed a few more for Australia in last week's show we spoke all about Pocock proofing Ireland as much as possible he still had a say but is Peter O'Mahony the new breakdown king <laughs> and Tyke Furlong is he's good at rugby um, <laughs> we'll get to that later I'm joined in studio by Sports Joe Rugby reporter Pat McCarry hey how's it going and we are lucky enough to have James Downey Andy you alright and Kevin McLaughlin good morning Andrew Morning. Oh, Andrew. Jesus, have I done something wrong? Formal. 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 Yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, I'm going to start with that clear out. The clear out that is going around the world um, of. Pat, you start and then we'll bring in the lads. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I think f- just after the after second half, I think 41 minutes, so only around 60 seconds into it, um, Ireland had a, a nice break and Furlong, as he often does, showed up in a kind of backline move. I think Ringrose, I think, uh, got the ball on Mahoney, had a nice little offload as well. And then Henshaw ran into contact and there was that man, Pocock, again, about to go in for the poach. And out of nowhere, Furlong had him eyed up and just bounced him back uh, you know, around the yard or so away from away from the rook. And and then he wasn't the only one in came charging. Rob Carney in came charging. Gary Ringrose as well and I think Conor Murray topped in for good measure as well so four boys cleared him out but Furlong did most of the damage and it was a real statement to be made by Ireland hmm. Yeah, I said last week that once Pogot clamps onto that ball it's next to impossible to, to move him and like I think he had probably about half a second as you see Furlong accelerating towards the rook and you're like this is a turnover and there's only one way to dislodge him and it's the way Furlong did it hmm. just absolutely melted him and to be honest I was proud of Pocock playing on after that yeah he hit him so hard he did like, I'm sure he's questioning a few things in a few stars after but I think you look at Furlong I think against Munster in the RDS had a couple of clear outs when mm. he's when you have that juggernaut coming at such pace and the thing is he's not stopping it and it's perfectly timed um, that's the body that's position. key yeah. if he gets the time because there was, there was a bit of fuss about a clear out on Conway in the Munster yeah. match and if he does miss time and he's going to get in trouble because oh, yeah. he's a big boy and he's coming at pace. He's a 130 kilo missile like, yeah. flying. And uh, the really impressive thing is how low he gets his hips. Like mm. he's traveling at speed and then he dips just before the contact. Yeah. Because if he's not really, really low. So to maintain that power through a very low like body height is incredible. And that's what makes him a really good scrummager as well. Yeah, it's textbook. Textbook clear out, wasn't it? Yeah, it was pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> that was only one of the things Mr. Furlong got up to. Ah, he was he was brilliant overall, wasn't he? I think um, for me that's his best, and he's had a good few good games. He's rarely had a bad game for Ireland, but that was his best game. You'd say best. Yeah, yeah. Um, just kind of in terms of just everything he brought, and I know there was that uh, the game against England where he kind of threw the pass inside the stander and stuff like that. But uh, first test try, I think as well, which kind of always adds mm. to it, but just in terms like he was just him and Levy as well like they were just on Pocock watch as well and but not only was he doing that he was doing his own job as well and getting around the park and it's just that he features so much in a lot of Ireland's moves and his passing is so good like throwing out offloads and switch passes and trying to throw a 20 yard into the wing but if if he had actually that was a hell of a break do you think I would thought he was the right option to go over the top because the wing was a fraction of a second where if he'd flicked it out to ring rows he was up the sticks but it was like I don't know you'd be you'd be like clapping a scrum half 
off oh, the back a, for picking a that left last to right, exactly, yeah. yeah, a left to right tight head prop. There's generations of props are looking at and they're going, what? Yeah, <laughs> Tom Smith used to always do that. He's a running a first receiver. It's yeah. really annoying. He's a running a first receiver and just throw a skip past, like regardless of what was happening. And everyone's like, oh my god, he's unbelievable. Yeah. And you're going, he's just butchered a four on one. So, <laughs> were there any were there any front rows you played with who could approach, even deciding to throw passes like that? We oh, like um, in a game. I was going to say, I was going to actually just kind of hang something a little bit here. Um, <laughs> That's a word here. I know. You and Murray. Do you remember you and Murray? Yeah. You and Murray used to play uh, Scottish prop, played for the Lions. Actually had an unbelievable uh, line. Was it Lions tour you had it? Yeah. And increased his value a lot. But we used to... In, He's in, the guy who couldn't play on Sundays. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Or, or wouldn't. Yeah, he, turned, yeah, yeah, he yeah. broke his neck playing for Glasgow and kind of, <clears> thank <throat> God, that way. Like, But... Um, so in training we used to kind of we have our warm ups or whatever and we'd have our different games and everyone would split up and no one would mark Ewan because it's like he just dropped the ball on his own like it was the, it's the biggest insult ever it's like yeah just leave Ewan on his own he'll, he'll make a balls but like he'll fuck it up so so he was not good at throwing 20 yard passes oh catching the ball <laughs> but the most impressive thing at Ty's performance is the 71 minutes yeah because mm. his scrummaging his work in the tight the rooks he's hitting the balls he carries, the tackles he makes for 71 minutes for a tight head prop. Like, there's no one, there's no other tight head in the world right now that can it's do It's funny. That. And we kind of assume that your front row's coming off, let's say the first one maybe 52, 55. Exactly. And then the last one's off by 65. Yeah. And Furlong's still out there. He's still out there, still trucking, and he doesn't drop off. I think he looked a bit tired for the last few minutes he was on, but Jesus Christ, so the amount ex- of work he got. You'd expect that, though, you know, yeah. two, two full on tests, and you think that there'd be pretty much kind of off feet, a lot of off feet this week. It's um, a great luxury for a coach to have, though, oh. where he can go, this tight head can keep trucking for me. Yeah. And he can actually play the 80 if I need him to, and mm. he won't. Because I, me- like, I remember when he was a kid, um, a couple of times, when I was leaving, he was just coming through for Leinster, and he played a few games. And I remember doing like a couple of circuits and stuff with him. And he's one of those guys, he was never in amazing shape or anything, but he'd keep trucking. And you'd be like, Jesus Christ, Like he has got some engine on him. You mm. could see he was blown, and you could see he was bollocksed. <laughs> but he'd just keep going. You know, and you can see that in the pitch. He wouldn't well. stop. He doesn't, yeah. doesn't yeah. stop trucking. And the ability for him to actually look up, like play a bit of heads up rugby, and see that there was a gap on the short side there for his try, mm. and see that I think it was Nick Phipps. He was like, oh, I can get the ball and I can steamroll this guy. Yeah. I mean, again, heads up rugby for but a it, it, his timing in that run as well was quite yeah. impressive. Like normally everyone would get too excited and you'd run short off the nine, but to kind of go take the little arc. Coming at a pace it's really nice to have your depth because yeah, he started on the open side mm. the, the, the defence on the blind side didn't take a step forward mm. so it meant he had the full run up um, and you're not stopping him from there like no. you know, the size of him like. yes large human moving quickly <laughs> across the scrum half yeah it's yeah. pretty good um, I think we'll bring in Paul Warwick yeah yeah get an Aussie voice in here even sure. though he might be a tiny bit biased as well as towards Ireland but hopefully hopefully he gives us a bit of a bit of stick so we're not just all celebrating here all right Paul Warwick, how are you doing? I'm very well, thanks. How's yourself? We're doing pretty well. Better this uh, week, aren't we? Yeah, we're doing better this week. <laughs> yeah. yeah, bit glum last week, but we're doing pretty well. Um, it was a uh, it was a good game. What's what's the feeling of the second test down in Australia? Yeah, I think uh, a few injury concerns um, from game two, but uh, personally, myself, I think that. Ireland played more like themselves in game two uh, and obviously uh, playing a full strength side um, with Sexton controlling possession a lot more than probably Carberry did and uh, a few less um, unforced errors in game one and uh, I think that frustrated Australia and really limited their opportunities but uh, Michael Checker as you all know is uh, quite the optimist and uh, I'm sure that they'll bounce back in game three and, and target a few things that uh, that Ireland closed down on them in game two. That's an interesting point on uh, the possession because the next thing I was going to ask about here was how did Ireland starve Australia of possession but Ireland controlled possession pretty well in that game. Was Kev, the sexton factor. Yeah, and I think it, it really was a key deciding factor in the test and could be for the third as well is that 
I don't think Australia have a 10 that can control the game in a very tight test match and I think the 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 difference between Johnny and Bernard Foley is exactly that it was a tight game and I think Johnny making the right decisions at the right times kicking to the corners when he needed to um, taking the points when he needed to and there's a really good example of that when Bernard Foley tapped and goed um, mm. on the Australian halfway line um, sorry on the halfway line and they end up getting turned over and I think it just was one of the key moments where Johnny would have known this and kick this to the corner let's drive it let's grind these guys down and actually get some possession Australia being totally starved of possession and they went off isolated and got the ball turned over and I think the decision making of the two tens is absolutely key and it's going to be key for, for the, the third test I don't know what you think Paul but from an observer standpoint I think Bernard Foley is a class rugby player but I'm not sure he's the man you want controlling a really really tight test match Yeah they've gone I think Ireland one of the apart from your good comments there was that Ireland in game two shut down Kirtley Beale's influence in game one he he had a free run and, and really helped uh, Foley control the game um, and Obviously, it was probably a, a tactic of, of Farrell to um, have the boys in the centres move up a bit quicker and shut down their time and space because, uh, as I said, he, he didn't have any impact on, on game two bar that early try. Um, and, and you're 100% right. I think the footy down here, as James can probably attest to when I first come to Ireland, is, uh, is pretty loose. Uh, and... Uh, you know, whether it's the entertainment factor or, or whatever, but uh, controlling a game, especially having such dry conditions down here as opposed to European games, uh, is definitely a big factor in these top of the table test matches. You know, even when Ireland beat New Zealand, it wasn't a, a free-flowing affair, and uh, that that possession uh, control is key in deciding these big games. Uh, I want to develop one point there. Um, you said that Jimmy could probably attest to it. What do you mean by being a bit loose? Is that describing you when you came over to these shores first, Paul? Yeah, I think I enjoyed running the footy from my 22 in probably so, the worst. So did I, mate. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I just, big Jimmy used to just truck up the guts, mate. That's all he was good for, but he did it pretty well. So. <laughs> and the shoulders made from looking after you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that, that's the thing, you know. And I, so I do a, a bit of schoolboy coaching here, and um, the European influence for me is to exit out of your own half as efficiently as possible. Whereas uh, even right through to Wallaby level, they seem to play a lot of footy, unnecessary footy in their own half, which. And either you know, lose possession at a breakdown or uh, give away a penalty, and uh, it's something that Europe, European footy taught me. And obviously, playing at Galway when I first arrived with the, the conditions, um, yeah, I had to learn it pretty quickly. There was something you mentioned there, Paul, about just the difference that Sexton makes. And I was kind of thinking that as good as Carby went in that first game, it was Conway's try. It was that was a call that Sexton made on the pitch this is what we're going to do you've seen him calling Connor Murray and, and Conway over we're going to do this and it was just played out so well like they, they threw to the back of the line out mauled them in towards the pitch and then it looked like Henshaw was the guy showing for it and then you just saw Sexton giving Conway the nod you're going now and it was funny to watch back at it Conway when he went Hale Petty was over the far wing and he was covering and he just sprinted his ass off to try and get over there in time but then it was all about Murray's pass as well and, and getting over the corner but that was Sexton just kind of spotting something this is the play we're going to do and this is how we're going to do it I don't know if Carberry's kind of up to that level he, he, of course needs game time but that's that was Sexton's stamp all over that well, try S- Sexton was was busy on the um, the Earl's try that almost was as well did you see it in the replay? No, no so on the everyone was looking at and the team I was looking at Earl's is dodding down was his foot in touch did he control the ball Sexton has a big arm all around Foley three yards away and <laughs> Foley cannot get there to make the tackle so you know he's a busy boy busy yeah, boy. yeah. Um, I want to ask Jimmy about something there uh, Paul mentioned Ringrose and yeah. the Irish centres Ringrose seemed to be making those defensive reads and shooting runs that Henshaw couldn't quite get perfectly the first week 
Yeah, I also think it was a kind of reaction to what happened in the first test in terms of we'd given the Aussie centres too much time and space, as Paul mentioned there, that Kirtley had completely run the show from uh, second five eight there that they just they were making wrong decisions in the outside second, channel second five very yeah, good thank you sir yeah. um, but I, I think that Ringrose defensively gives a lot of confidence across the board um, he has the pace to get away if he does make a wrong read he can actually push across but I think that like, you look at Robbie Robbie's more comfortable in a 12 position and especially with Gary I think he knows what Gary does mm-hmm. uh, knows what he brings and having played with him with Leinster it's it's very natural for the two of them like, but I think he, that the extra line speed they brought that Andy Farrell certainly would have looked at it, it really negated the, the Aussie attack so ring rows in there was for me sublime yeah. yeah I think Keith on the wing uh, also had a big big uh, big impact with obviously playing the 80 minutes but mm. uh, uh, being able to contest and defuse some of those kicking threats um, that Palau was allowed run away with in the first game uh, just his experience and, and, and now that um, yeah, diffusing some of those situations that obviously in game one led to one of the tries um, uh, where they cross kicked uh, Palau on halfway and then kicked again and a couple of phases later scored so um, his experience on the wing and I think Carney had a lot better game mm. uh, than he did in game one, I think you can all agree with that um, and and clearly starting your best team as I alluded to at the start that, that helps um, Clark Furlong was obviously immense and Ian Healy brings a lot to, uh, to that front row and experience as well What's the feeling in Oz at the moment around like moving towards the World Cup? I think one of the things Cheka or struggled with in his time in Leinster was he he kind of had a starting fifteen and used to just stick with it all the time and didn't necessarily give the younger guys and big game experience and develop out a squad. It seems like with Oz Australia at the moment it's maybe similar in that particularly at half back and some of the key positions like Foley plays pretty much every single game without half of them. What is what is the depth like in Australia at the moment? And if a couple of the key guys like um, like Foley got injured, what sort of position would Australia be in? I think they'd be forced to put Beal in. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's absolutely no standout replacement, uh, which again, you know, pressure for and competition for spots obviously drives performance, and uh, those guys have been pretty comfortable in their position. So I think they'd have to go Beal at ten. Mm-hmm. Um, especially his influence in game one if that's the case but uh, the last couple of years Czech has capped about 32 to 40 players uh, there was something in the paper the other day for those numbers and uh, I think he's now decided on his top 30 if you like and um, and working with those guys for the World Cup so you know, what you're seeing on the park there's not too many um, guys or Bargenia who's broken his arm um, that, that'll be missing out. And why is it that they're not developed? Like, because I remember playing against Australia schoolboys, for instance, like a long time ago now, unfortunately. But was this in rugby or chess? <laughs> Both, yeah. <laughs> but like the amount of talent, like that, that comes through the ranks in the country. Why aren't why aren't there you know five top class out halves coming through there? And why isn't there the depth? Well, I, I'm, I'm sort of on the coalface of that, funnily enough. Is I coach a, um, a first 15 at, at a prestigious boys' school here in Brisbane. And uh, rugby's really, to be honest, dying a slow death. There's massive competition from AFL, rugby league, uh, and even football now. Um, uh, in terms of my position as a schoolboy coach, the, the scholarships that get, get tossed around to to get the best talent into these prestigious boys' schools, similar to your, to your Leinster schools, come with Black Rock and, and different places like that. But, um, you know, it's no longer a, a, you know, a free feeding ground for rugby union. There isn't a pathway that if you're a school, Australian schoolboy um, that you go on and, and play, um, play for the Reds or the Waratahs or the Brumbies or, or the Rebels now. Um, you know, state of origins on at the to- uh, at the moment rugby league, and there's about five or six um, state of origin players that played Australian schools rugby union, yeah. um, and it's really crippling the game. And uh, the schools probably have a, a lot to to answer for in, in terms of um, how they're recruiting and who they're recruiting, um, because they're getting a bit selfish, obviously. Uh, wanting bang for their buck in terms of the talent that they're bringing in but 
uh, I think Australian rugby has, uh, yeah, has really done it the wrong way in terms of they've been pretty lazy with grassroots development. Um, some of the club systems in Sydney and Brisbane are really thriving, um, but that transition through, whether it's uh, commercial or exposure to the bigger crowds and whatever it is, but league and AFL have, have really dominated um, uh, A, the primary schools and, and B, the, the school leavers that, that are your next generation of club players, super rugby players and wallabies. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's a really big conundrum for them. Um, there's a lot of, a lot of experts floating around with their own opinions, but uh, I don't know whether they're naive or blind to it, but there just doesn't seem to be much much going on. And with uh, a regression in the success of the Wallabies, it's um, they've been quite detrimental to the game, to be honest. That's always the challenge, isn't it? Because I think if the Australian national team or the Wallabies are picking up the World Cup trophy or whatever, it changes because all the school kids are looking at that. But if they're watching the All Blacks pump them at the weekend, I don't think it's as much of an incentive. And then they're watching the State of Origin on Wednesday and going, Jesus, this is where it's at. It's like, it has a huge swing. It's made a big difference for Irish rugby. It's the success of like Leinster and Ireland. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but But, uh no it does i think i think it's it's a really difficult when you go into a bit of a spiral like that's very challenging like Mm. um but yeah the uh yeah i think they need some strong leadership at the front and have to uh, at the top sorry and have to make some really harsh decisions and whether they sacrifice you know, three or four years to then get this next crop through. I think Australia played off or did play off the, the fifth, uh, fifth and sixth at the under twenties World Cup. There's some good young kids coming through there, but you know, the yeah, the Super Rugby system, yeah, it's it's an interesting one. I, I think the Reds' average attendance is about eight or nine thousand, and then you got the Brisbane Broncos that play here that are average attendance of about 45,000 so it's uh, yeah, it's, it's a really tough one and, and uh, I think Australian fans are a bit fickle, they, they wouldn't be as, as loyal as um, the Irish in who they support because of where they're, they're born but um, yeah, it's, it's a big problem down here and obviously Australia needs to, to be a, a, sort of a, a bit of a power in, in rugby for the game to, to flow worldwide in my opinion yeah, Australia playing well is good for rugby. You know, it's like it's one of those nations where you're right. The Aussies like playing it out. Um, it's it's in the blood, it's in the DNA, or whatever term you want to use. But it's that is good for all of rugby. Never mind Australian rugby. But hitting that balance because there was a lot of fuss made about you know the first test. Wow, you got what was it forty four, forty six thousand. I mean, if you haven't been to Australia, you don't get that how far down the pecking order union yeah, is yeah. on the sports pages. Um, and maybe we maybe we forget that up here. Yeah, we do. Like I'm just from chatting to one of my very good mates who lives in Melbourne, like, and he he was like, "You'd barely know there's a test match on this weekend unless you go looking for it." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you see maybe a few yeah. Ireland jerseys around, you'd be like, "Oh, is there something on?" You know, but so like, surreal, is, is it Paddy's day already? Yeah, you'd you'd far more likely know about the AFL game that's on that weekend. And yeah, I, I think Irish people don't realise that, but like, it just shows the amount of sporting talent in Australia that it can be that far down the pecking order, and they can and still, yes. yeah, they can still yes, potentially give us a whooping, like you know. Yeah, the um, Paul, the the Guinea incident. You mentioned his arms broken. Um, it seems to have been a bit of fuss down there about uh, Keane Healy's involvement. Um, it, what have you picked up from it? The tape doesn't look um, that incriminating. Yeah, no, I'm the same. I was talking about it with uh, a colleague of mine today, and I, I can't understand the rant. Um, his his explanation to me was the main incident happened out of camera, but from what I saw, it was you know a, a brush. Um, having played against uh, Kian Healy myself, I know he's got potential to be a dirty player, but um, <laughs> potential. Uh, I'm sure there, there was nothing in it, but um, in my opinion I think it, it's uh, a bit of a deflection or, or trying to uh, take a tactic to shift a bit of blame or put a bit of pressure on, on Ireland but yeah, nothing in it in my opinion and 
um, it's a contact sport. I think people forget that at some sometimes. So uh, yeah, deal with it as far as I'm concerned. Right, Kev. So this is Cheka playing, meaning playing his cards, mm. saying, "Right, um, I'm going to get uh, a player with the potential to be dirty, Kean Healy, um, on people's lips instead of talking about Australia losing the Test match." Uh, potentially, but he's also probably absolutely good at Toulouse Guinea because yeah. he's been on fire. He think he was great in the first test, probably as well as I've ever seen him play in the first test, and a huge loss for Australia now for for the third test. So yeah. I'd say, to be honest, more than anything, he was just absolutely sickened about that. So yeah. it was front of his mind. Uh, I, I don't think he'd actually believe that Church is going to get a ban out of that. Though. So is, is Keen? Does he have dirty blood? Does he? A church, no, he plays hard. He plays on the edge. But and like it, you know, he's, he got was it against the Scarlets? He got saw it or uh, Exeter maybe. Exeter yeah, in the Champions Cup. Yeah, and again, like it's all. He just plays so hard, so physical on the edge, and he's you know he. But when you go hard and you're that big and strong and you're like a, a quickly moving tank, like it's you're going to do damage sometimes. <laughs> but he, he does a lot of damage to himself as well. Like, yeah, you know, but, So I think you know, people are kind of saying that like he gives a shoulder or whatever, but it's just the outcome is that he's broken his the, arm. It's, the outcome is if, weird, if actually. Falls, when you look yeah. at that tape, it's... It's pretty uh, innocuous, to be honest. Yeah. Like It's just like he's put out his hand or something and he, he, he bumps him. So for him, this is... I suppose the key point here is that on the main TV broadcast angle, you can't see it. No, right? Off, and, yeah. and that's what Czech and everyone was referring to. But there is a, an angle that Fox Sports Australia came up with, which is a wider angle mm. um, and it's it's off the ball they're both running to the next um, breakdown but Keen Healy just gives him a nudge to the ground as if you know take out the scrum half before you get the next rock like we've talked about before it's and no more somehow, a nudge it's, it's no more a nudge than if someone has a box kick and you're chasing back and you're just shepherding them a little nudge just to put them off their line of running so the other guy's got a bit of time yeah. there's nothing to it like it's very know. unfortunate for Genia because there's yeah, one thing about getting it? you know getting an injury in an actual incident or a tackle or something but it, this is a nothing mm-hmm. yeah, I think it's because he didn't expect it and sometimes when you're off balance and you don't expect to fall and you put your hand out in a different way yeah it's weird but freak accidents feel sorry for him yeah um, so in terms of the more action on the field right Peter O'Mahony uh, played bloody well this week he he was really really good he some of his steals was yeah. I mean that was that was nice to see it was um, you know it, it was one of those things where his place was questioned during the week. You know, does he stay in the? Does he stay in the team? Does he get rested as well? Did he do enough? Did him and Jordy Murphy do enough in the first test? And um, you well, know, th- this was in the context of we have to bring Dan Levy back in. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So there was a lot of yeah. There was a lot of people kind of saying, you know, can O'Mahony step up and kind of deliver that type of game that we've seen? Maybe just maybe in a Munster jersey, we've seen that kind of dominant performance in the Champions Cup, but haven't seen it in an Ireland jersey quite as much as we did at the weekend and. I think he, he made his first turnover in the 15th minute and that set the tone and he was absolutely brilliant uh, for, I think, clearing out I think first rook that Pocock went into O'Matney was on him cleared him out of it effectively and then after that it was him making the turnovers and a, a few brilliant ones and um, I think he had three stole a line out as well and um, that was just absolutely brilliant for his team and he was the guy all of a sudden you couldn't shift off the ball and once mm. you got him in there you seen the you seen the likes of um, Karivi and you saw Foley and you saw Capu at one stage trying to get rid of him they couldn't shift him so it'll be interesting to see now we raved about Pocock so much are the Australians now looking at this again it's going to be so interesting to see it's like going back to chess again it's like a chess game like Pocock was there they neutralised him what happens in the third test it's going to be so interesting to look at speaking of chess I'll jump in there but no it's (laughs) uh, no I think it's the amazing thing about these summer series is that you get to play the same team three times in a row I love it so hard it's really hard because you're you get to the point now in the third week where you've analysed both each other to within an inch of their lives and they know they know each other so well and you know they know what Pocock's going to do and it's just about execution now and you know who's up for the fight again because there'll be a lot of sore bodies and I also think Ireland have a bit of an advantage in that 
you know, they didn't get injuries to, to really key guys and that Murray and Sexton, etc. are still fit. So they'll probably be able to freshen it up a little bit. I think you'll see a couple of changes. They might bring someone like Stockdale <coughs> back in and a couple of other fresh guys, I think, which does make a big difference. I don't yeah. know if Australia have the luxury of being able to do that. Well, that's what we're saying. Like They named the same 23 and the, the physical battering they took in the first test. Mm. Um, that's going to take its toll. Like, and you've got to kind of say, oh, can they have the same impact as they have had previously? And then uh, Ireland went and changed and brought all the Leinster boys back in and kind of just give the lads a little boost and again okay um, they've lost Guinea yeah. I don't know who else they've lost now but it's it's as Paul was saying like they have that squad of 30 players now but is that all they have like and yeah. what have they got below well we have lads who are fresh who we would like to start and are pushing for places mm. rather than just a replacement you know I still think though that we have uh, a reliance on the nine ten access still. I thought I thought I'd see more. It'd be interesting to see what he does third test. I think uh, fair enough. He let jo- like Joey got a couple of minutes the weekend. John Cooney got a couple he, of minutes. He got a couple of minutes coming on for Devon Tony. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. In the row, but, but like, but they, but you're looking at that saying, well, we're not going to take him off unless we have to. Which is again my con- my only concern is if something happened if we lost Murray to a kind of Guinea a a brutal injury or innocuous injury like it's like I'd like to see someone else play a bit of game time Hmm. yeah um, Paul I actually was going to ask you um, maybe before we talk about the Irish changes just in terms of the Aussie changes did they do anything for the next test I heard maybe Joe Powell being mentioned as the next scrum half but did it can they change anything else up for the, the third test uh, I think Fibs will get the nod, to be honest. Um, that, that's, that's what I'm hearing down here. And the, the only other would probably be um, Taniela Tupo in the front row, the, the big fella that comes yes. off the bench. Um, just just to be a bit more confrontational with um, Furlong and Healy. Uh, so, yeah, as, as I said, I think Australia through the kitchen sink at you in the first part, in the first game. And... Um, yeah, I think they were a bit taken aback and nullified in, in the second game. So it'll be interesting to see their reaction. Your point about uh, playing three consecutive games. Yeah, they, they analyse the hell out of each other. But like you say, it's fine margins at, at the top. Like it's two playing three in the world. So you'd expect these games to be quite close. And and they have been. Um, and, and fine margins. So those little inches all over the park, which I think Ireland won. Uh, in game two and Australia won in game one so it'll be a real test for both coaches going into this third one as to what adjustments they make Um, do Ireland have to change anything probably not uh, as long as they can control the possession but I'm sure uh, Larkham and and Checker will have a few um, few can I attack uh, plans to to try and um, regain possession I think they have to go aerial again and, and bring Palau into the game more and uh, hope that, that Carney has an off night again. The Falau uh, piece is interesting. Before we get on to um, potential Ireland changes, uh, Murray Kinsler, hat tip Murray, good piece looking at um, how Ireland took Falau's influence out of the game in the second test compared to the first. So one of the things he was looking at was uh, the influence of Ringrose and just funneling Falau's runs, not running across him, just making sure that they were funneling his runs and then making sure that the Irish player had a, a nice clear route to catch that ball and make sure he didn't have the uh, the free reign of the skies. Um, but Ireland changes. Uh, we've talked a lot about game time and Jimmy, you just talked about 9-10 access. Joey Carberry got the nod first test to say, look, here you go, son. Let's go. Do we have to do the same at 9 I don't think we have to do it I'd like to see it just in case um, but I just think that we play Connor too much like we play like he plays kind of like a furlong or like he plays like a, uh, yeah, when you're putting the scrum half at a prop in t- terms of game time is quite ridiculous but like we're playing him for 75 minutes and we take him off and, and same with Munster he plays 80 minutes consistently mm-hmm. and again and the norm across the board is your nines come off with you've got half an hour or 25 minutes at least yep. on the clock add some pace to it I'd just like to see someone else just in case and foreboding that something would happen to him but like just to have that back up to kind of go oh this person's played loads or Marmion or whoever it's going to be Cooney or um, Luke McGrath whoever's played we know they can seamlessly come in and uh, and produce what they need to produce So Kev is it Cooney or um, Marmion? It's neither I start Murray you start Murray <coughs> 80 minutes whatever is required to win the test series So, you, so you put this test series above 
what we need 100%. in the future. One hundred percent. Okay. One hundred percent. I think this is not a time. Probably all of internationals that get time to yeah. throw someone in. Uh, yeah. I don't know who you're playing, um, but yeah, I I think game one you can let it go, um, but knowing that you're gonna you're gonna go for the series, and obviously you're winning your first game in was it thirty six years? Yeah. On Australian soil, is that correct? Thirty nine. Yeah. Or against Australia. Even, even worse. Um, yeah, I think this test series will be quite important and will also be a little mental scar on, mm. on Checker if, if your paths do cross in the World Cup. So um, I, I'd suggest the autumn would be the last chance to experiment before the World Cup next year. Yeah, like th- this is a proof point. I've said it from the very start. It's a proof point for this Irish team. Can they go to the Southern Hemisphere and yeah. win a test series? And I think that's more important than experimenting right now. Um, I think they need to actually prove to everyone that they can win. This is the hardest battle. Three tests, three Saturdays in a row in Australia. Um, you know, no, no, an Irish team hasn't done it for a long, long time. So then do we flog Furlong and, and O'Mahony again? Do you want to keep all the big boys in? Yeah, I mean, with O'Mahony, with back row, you have options. You mm. could change it up. You could put Henderson at six. Like, there's different things they could do mm. and leave O'Mahony on the bench. And we had um, Ty Burns debut. Yeah. Uh, with Furlong, I think you have to start him. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's guys like Furlong, James Ryan are just so critical now to this Irish well. team. I think you keep James Ryan and Dev in the second row, though, yeah, because I, I think they work so well together. Dev was absolutely monstrous. He was brilliant, yeah, he was he? Monstrous. Like, he's as well as I've seen him play. <laughs> Poor guy was cramping up for the last five minutes. They had to take <laughs> him off a cramp. He worked so hard. But, like, James Ryan is, I don't know, he's quickly becoming one he's of the best second rows in the world. Th- the way he plays. Yeah, and it's being written about, and it's it seems early, but it's not. The consistent not. level of performance is startling. It's not early. Yeah, the way he delivers it's every single week, it's not early to talk about that. No, it's a high bar, such a high bar he sets every week, and yeah. it's not as if he has a decent game. He's like, okay, every week he's, he's one of those players going, Jesus, who was that? And yeah, you're like, oh, it was James Ryan again, yeah. and like making tackles and making turnovers and, and line breaks, and, and the way he his ability and something that's actually really hard to do to accelerate onto the ball. Mm. He seems to be able to do it every single carry and his body position as well because he's a he's six foot eight or whatever. So like it's very hard for somebody who's six foot eight to get the right body position in the contact. But he dominates the contact. Yeah, he does, it's, yeah, yeah. It's ridiculous. The uh, okay, so we'll see what comes in. We're, we're not seeing Ross Byrne get any game time in this tour unless they put him on the bench. No, like the, yeah, but I don't I don't see him featuring either. But it's the, you know people might complain about that. But Schmidt's seen him in training. You know, what I mean? like yeah. like. If he's not, if he's doing it in training, he might get a chance. But if but he's not, like, that's a learning curve for him. Yeah. So it's like he's over there, as, as as Kev said, he's on a. This is a a big big a tour, learn, you know. Yeah. To like to get away there, to get the exposure to that. If it comes to a World Cup selection and you're selecting him, you're away in Japan. It's again, you're on tour, aren't you? Like it's test series every week. Then so mm. he's used to that environment. Okay. The uh, Paul, I was just thinking there. We, we talked about you arriving over in Ireland and um, your style of play, adjusting it. How did your move to Connacht actually come about? Uh, I had a good friend of mine, Andrew Farley, who was uh, captain at the time, I believe, and uh, I was on the seventh circuit. And um, yeah, he basically sent me a message and said. Um, we're looking for a number 10, are you interested? So I sent over a, a couple of videos or uh, back in the day, a couple of cassettes and, um, and <laughs> yeah, met Michael Bradley in London at the, at the IRB tournament there and uh, yeah, signed and was over there by well, probably two months later, end of July or something like that, or well, race week it was. So Jimmy took me under his wing and showed me around Galway <laughs> on race week. So that was impressive. Quiet one, I'd say that was. <laughs> Jim, Jim's not offering any comment here. Jim, we have to press you on this. There's no mayor of Galway. He's probably wise not to. I think I'd have more dirt on him than he would on me. So. Oh, well, that's very debatable. That's very. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, so it was two, uh, two years at the sports ground and then to Munster. So was it Munster approached you about making the switch? Yeah, well, uh, yeah, I did three years at, at the sports ground so. and then... Um, yeah, it was was pretty keen on a move. When when I first came to Connacht, it was interesting. I, I couldn't understand why um, people at Leinster and Munster and to a lesser extent at the time Ulster uh, didn't want to come and get a start and, and challenge for an international spot uh, by playing against these people. 
Um, and, and I guess the argument came from it wasn't affecting them their selection uh, for Ireland because you had guys like Mick O'Driscoll getting picked from the bench uh, for Ireland uh, from the bench for Munster. So uh, I guess I, I wanted to taste a, a big club and be a part of a big club. And um, uh, Tony, Tony McGann um, uh, came to Munster, I think, a year earlier. And... Um, and uh, Jim Williams uh, and Declan Kidney, uh, I met the three of them down in Cork and uh, it seemed like a good fit. Uh, I just started dating a, a girl from Cork um, and uh, it, yeah, I, I was happy to move down the road and, and it turned out really well for me, so I was very fortunate. Uh, you met Keith Earls, you met up with him before the first test, uh, how was that yep. catching up? Yeah, fantastic. I hadn't seen Keith um, uh, for about three years. Uh, sorry, we were in Limerick just before we came back to Australia and um, had dinner with him. So it had been three years, and uh, he's, he's such a good guy. It's quite funny. He's talking about I mean, him being really old now, and he's 30, and uh, just made me feel a bit sick that he was probably about 18 or 19 when I was playing with him. So... Uh, He's had a phenomenal career, and, and I just love the fact that uh, all his success, especially this year uh, after getting through his injuries, hasn't changed him. He's a down-to-earth bloke and and uh, really, really nice guy. Yeah, what's it like seeing? I mean, you said Erzie was was young there when you when you were there, but also like Peter Mahoney and Conor Murray. I mean, they were they were young as well. What's it like seeing these guys yeah. being absolute you know linchpins of let alone Munster but Irish rugby? Yeah, it, it, it's strange. Uh, Tony McGann was actually sitting behind me uh, at the the first test, and um, I, I said to him, uh, "I was, you know, surprised with Connor's success. I, I thought he was a good player, but I didn't think he would um, essentially be the best halfback in the world, which uh, I believe he is at the moment, and um, uh, it, just phenomenal. Like he's he's obviously um, worked so hard on his skill set and." Um, he just dominates to be honest he can control a game from nine which is pretty rare uh, and, and Peter Armani you spoke about him earlier at, at his breakdown work um, you know he'd probably shoot me for saying it but uh, I can see him becoming um, you know the influence that Alan Quinlan had on Munster at the time you know he obviously doesn't have the support around him with as high a quality player um, but He's just got that gritty determination. He's just that bloke you want in your team that'll put his body on the line and leads leads with actions rather than words. And uh, uh, I, I didn't know Peter very well, but I've been so impressed with uh, with his leadership and just his attitude to rip in, um, even when they're out for the Lion series. Uh, you know, having to cop being captain and getting dropped after game one. Um, that was. Uh, that was uh, yeah, a big step for him. Anything, Paul? What was it um, from those kind of early training sessions when those boys would have been around like twenty twenty one? You know, anything kind of stand out where you were just like, Jesus, this O'Mahony lad is someone to watch because I know he was highly regarded even at a young age down there. Yeah, he, he did. He, you know, I think the monster forward sessions were quite renowned for being pretty physical and aggressive. Um, obviously, from that from that era before, it sort of carried on. Um, and he was certainly someone that didn't take a backward step as a young fella, so he got a lot of respect um, by the older guys straight away. Uh, and for me personally, um, I, have, I used to have to bloody defend Keith Earls, and it was a nightmare. Um, his, his pace and feet at, at 18, 19 years old was just scary, uh, which obviously led him to play for the Lions uh, a year later, but... Um, he's easily the most talented footballer I've ever seen, um, uh, and you know I've been in a couple of countries now, so uh, it's, it's a big wrap to put on him. But I think he deserves it. And injuries really cost him reaching his potential. I think uh, I know he's had a good last 18, 18 months, but uh, I think he could have been a superstar of the world game if if he'd got through injury free. High praise from Mr. Earls. Um, that's pretty. You mentioned the uh, playing in a couple of countries. You so you moved from Munster, uh, went to Stad, signed by Checo, and then went to Worcester. But you didn't stay there as long as you'd have liked. You had to retire because no, of, 
some concussion trouble. Yeah. What, what exactly happened? Yeah, uh, I, I went to, to Paris um, and signed a three-year deal and yeah, it, it just it didn't work out. It's something I always wanted to try in my career. I wanted to live and play there and um, yeah, it, it was such a, a big shock for me going from uh, how do I say that? When you say a workman like came at Munster um, to you know, a, a high-profile, big money, uh, everyone sort of a, you know, a Galactico type of thing, and, and they just didn't mesh. Um, there was too many personalities and probably too many guys at the end of their careers uh, for it to work. And to you know that if I've learnt anything, it's uh, good teams are, are teams that are full of competition and, and have a real hunger for, for success. Uh, and it, it just wasn't there. Um, uh, I probably lost fell out of love with rugby over there a bit too, um, took it for granted and uh, then moved back to England um, to Worcester and, and did uh, a year there in the Premiership under Dean Ryan um, uh, interesting experience um, probably uh, didn't didn't get as much game time as I wanted based on that I couldn't kick the ball as far as um, uh, I think it was Ignacio Mires, uh, an Argentinian bloke um, but uh, yeah, it was a bit frustrating. But uh, as I said, I had lost uh, the lust for the game, and uh, it was the right time. I got a neck injury against Saracens uh, in the warm-up, uh, where I got pins and needles uh, down my legs and, and back for. I had them in the end for about two or three months, uh, and um, yeah, based on uh, recommendations, I had narrowing of the spinal column, and uh, they suggested I. I park it up, so I was, you know, content with that. It's only now that you that you watch a game with a bit of envy. Um, obviously, not not taking into consideration that physically I'd have absolutely no chance of competing anymore. But um, yeah, you, you look at them and get a bit jealous of them running out in the field. But uh, uh, I think it's a time to reflect on you know, some of the good days you had and, and be content with that. Oh, I'd say there's plenty of uh, people, especially Munster fans, who'll be listening to you thinking about some good days um, on the field. Uh, Paul Warwick, thank you very much for your time today on the Hard Yards. Absolute pleasure. Good to talk to you guys. Stay with us because we'll be answering your Twitter questions after the break and covering some of the weekend's other international action. You're welcome back to the Hard Yards. We're going to take a look at some of the questions you've sent in on social media. Remember to follow us on Twitter at, at THYRugby. Use the hashtag AskTHY if you want to get a question in for next week to our panel. Which, who's here, Kev? Kev's Kev? Kev? Oh, sorry, Kev's gone. <laughs> panel of one. He's off oh, packing, okay. his, uh, packing his bags for, for Portugal, isn't it? Portugal, Marbella. No, it's Spain, I think, is it? Yeah, uh, Spain. It's very glamorous. No, it's Marbella for a wedding. Yeah, and then he's Portugal after that. All right, we're giving away his um, social. <laughs> that's all right. That's fine. That's the uh, Lawrence Veal wants to know how long does Eddie Jones still have in the job? And Tony Down Under wants to know if Eddie is in fact a film fifth columnist <laughs> sent from Australia to inter- to destroy England from the inside. <laughs> he wasn't happy after that game, was he? No, uh, there was a few of them, wasn't there? It was Ben Young's lasting around eight seconds into a Sky, a interview. sky interview, yeah. and Balin, and uh, and then Eddie's him and Chris Jones from you know Rugby Union Weekly had a, a tension. BBC, tetchy. yeah, yeah, yeah. He wasn't happy. He said that Chris's aggr- um, questioning was very aggressive. Mm, yeah, Chris isn't very aggressive. He's good at pushing. He's good at pushing buttons, though. But he is no. You wouldn't call him overly aggressive, but no. you'd call the other lad overly aggressive sometimes. And um, even that comment that Eddie Jones made, um, I've got twenty five players missing. These are the best guys I, I've got. Like you know, like as in this. This is the rabble I've kind of rounded up. You know, rather this is than what I've left to, to fight with. Like yeah, there's a, there's a couple of interesting. I think was it Rob Kitson in the Telegraph? Guardian. Oh, yeah, Guardian. Sorry, yeah. I read a um, read a piece that he wrote about just it's quite interesting isn't it like how they I know the English kind of push it but like he'd won 24 or 25 and now yeah. it's kind of unravelling a little bit and like players are like okay Ben Young's is a little bit tetchy after the game that's not in his nature normally I, but also I, I will say I <coughs> I saw the comment before I saw his interview 
Go it's on. not the worst thing I've ever seen. No, he did not. finish it and then just leave very abruptly. Yeah, but I had actually, originally yeah. thought with the degree of sort of that he had walked off because that everything had kicked off. Yeah. That it was going to be a lot worse. Yeah, I think he just kind of was like, I just want to get off the field. To be honest, like here's your question, there it's answered, and I'm gone. Do you know, yeah. as opposed to let's analyze it. I'm pissed off. He wasn't is. there for an in-depth chat. Was no. He? no, 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 and you can see him kind of stepping away and just away from the mic straight away, but. Um, Interesting times. Do you know this is one of these after the after the tour? It's a disaster anyway. Like fair play to South Africa, they've really stepped it yeah. up. But um, it's that's going to be the stuff that's going to come out now, either at the end of his era or if not sooner rather than later. People come back and be like, it's like it's going to be like kind of Vern Cotter when he was at Scotland a little bit when. Uh, killing rabbits or whatever they were doing, um, <laughs> but the, like the stories started yeah, to come out when things exactly, exactly. Like, but it is. It's like stuff leaks, yeah. and players are as bad as the coaches that they'll speak to to uh, reporters or whatever, and stuff comes out. They'll have a bit know? of a bit they'll of a bitch. dirty laundry a little bit, yeah, yeah, which isn't great. But well, like, say Ben Ben Youngs has a lot of goodwill in the credit column mm. um, mm-hmm. for ditching the Lions tour to be there for his family. Uh, who are going through a cancer episode? That's he's got a lot of goodwill there. I didn't think it was as bad as I think it was out of character, wasn't it? And he it did was, come it was out of character. Party. He apologised after immediately. Looks. Yeah, so we'll, we'll put that one to bed. But yeah, yeah Eddie, Eddie, look, it's England. They've got fine. They've got the most players of any nation. They're, they'll be fine. They will be fine. Yeah, but look, it's just they like to kind of give out. Yeah, it'll be football this week, so. Take the attention away. Yeah, it's going to be great. Yeah, it is. You're amazing. The world. (laughs) What's going on in Russia? (laughs) Uh, Let's see what we have here. We've got Rob O'Hanrahan. Is it time for a change in the high tackle stroke tip tackle rules to punish the process rather than the outcome? Rob Carney made it a yellow card by managing to avoid landing on its head, which isn't right, surely. So this was the Kurabedi incident. He was a lucky boy. If you lift someone up and you do drive down, mm. I'm not judging intent. We can't judge intent. But if you drive down, you're you're facing trouble. And Rob Carney does do the instinctive thing of turning away, which I'm told refs aren't supposed to take into account. Um, but how can you not take... Like, you know, I, I understand that the law is there. You're not supposed to take it into account. Yeah. But you do. But what I mean is what, what I mean is that it, it, the, the way that the sanctions mm. are applied is if he lands on head and neck, red. Otherwise, not red. Yeah. So if Rob Carney doesn't do anything, he'll land on his head and neck. But your instinct is not to. Of course. But the protect. action from yeah. Carabetti is the same. And I think that's what the questioner is getting at. Um, it's... We need to get better at that overall, I think. Yeah, we do, but it's uh, to me it goes back to the player who you're caught up in the emotion of the game, and I'm sure we'll go on to other incidents that have happened, but it's the emotion of you've got to be in control of what you do Hmm. as a defender. Um, Yeah, you want to physically impose yourself in the opposition, but there's ways you can do that and there's ways you can't do that. You know, So you can't go and throw an elbow into someone as they're running straight at you, so that's a no-no. Why people still tip-tackle, you're just... Just blanket has got no tip tackles. In your own mindset, you kind of have to do that. Okay, yeah. you want to dominate, but it's just it's just silly, really. To be honest, I was just like anyone who's tipping nowadays. It's just you got to keep control of it yourself. W- it was one of the more obvious cards yeah. you'll ever see. Oh yeah, exactly. It's like yeah. yellow. Move on. Like you know, it's like you don't want to be analysing bloody stupid like tip tackles and stuff every game, and if it has an effect on the outcome of the game. Like it's an, it's a disaster. So look, yellow. Move on. Next one. Okay, so here's the one that yeah. did affect an outcome, and we've had a very interesting decision just an hour before we all arrived in for mm-hmm. about seven this morning. Um, the Benjamin Fall red card in the All Blacks France second test. It's the twelfth minute. Bowden Barrett goes up for the high ball. Benjamin Fall runs into him. Um, re- we all remember back to the Jared Payne incident. Um, it's very similar. Yeah. Um, a pain was worse for my money, um, but Fall gets the red card. The panel who reviewed this said that no, it wasn't a red because of a, a number of things. It's actually quite a long statement. They've recommended that the red card be completely rescinded, and a major part of that is uh, Anton Leonard Brown giving a little bit of a bump to uh, Fall as he ran through. And this has been taken, I suppose, just like. The, um, the the ones from the previous week as a quote-unquote mitigating circumstance. This is a, quite a big one because 
there's been such an emphasis on protecting the man in the air um, that adding this mitigating factor is going to be I think there's going to be a lot of talk about this Yeah because I remember earlier in the season um, Andrew Conway got a red card uh, Munster uh, were playing Connacht and Galway and he went up to contest uh, a high ball and he got a bit of a nudge as he went up and then I forget which um, maybe it's Tiernan O'Halloran the Connacht player and he got the red card and he was protesting that listen I got bumped in the air I wasn't planning on doing this and now there's a precedent being set that if you take taking contact then maybe like you know you, you can't say I was in control of my actions completely so yeah it makes it a bit more awkward again like you know like it's um, should you not be protecting the guy who's up in the air like yeah, and the land ballot, Barrett's landing was bad mm. I mean he was very lucky he's out of this test with a concussion but that could have been worse and that's yeah. we cannot lose sight of the fact that this is about player safety and protecting a guy coming down from a height but when you have a red card that early in a game we're not happy no and that's it's naturally I was going to say that to you when you started kind of talking about it 12th minute it kind of kills the game as a contest and especially against the All Blacks and France did really well they did they, in fairness to them they really stepped up and they got that togetherness and um, considering they'd played for whatever 60 62 or 68 minutes 68, yeah. 68 with 14 you know against mm. an All Black side I would have thought they would have capitulated to be honest yeah especially given the previous yeah, week, the second yeah, half yeah. yeah but in fairness to them like they scored they played some good rugby didn't yeah. they like and but I just think yeah, come back to the incident. It's it's hard not to be outcome based as well. Like you said there, okay, like a concussion, and if Rob Carney had gone in his head, and if and like it's always he it's didn't al- get injured. It's always useful when you're looking at, a, at, a, at an incident like Barry. Imagine that it's a player playing for a team you support, and then imagine that it's a playing player for the opposition. Mm. And what is your reaction? You know, it should be probably the same, ideally. If it's not the same, you need to look at what you're actually seeing as opposed to what you feel. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's hard to separate that emotion, of course. But like, yeah. even like, if Ro- even if Rob Carney had been injured, I'd be look. It's a, it's a yellow. Like you know, okay. Like he's regard. And if an Irish player had done it, same thing. It's a yellow. Because mm. are you going to go on to the? I'm going to go on not to, not, not to the yet. next one. We're going to get there. <laughs> we will get there for Welsh rugby fans and MMA fans. Um, <laughs> But there's been a few people, including Steve Hansen, who put forward the idea of do we need something that is between yellow and red card? Oh, yeah. Right? Now, not an orange card, card or whatever, a black card or whatever. But even if it's his, his idea was you put someone on yellow on report for red. Mm. You know, so you, you, you borrow something from league. Um, other suggestions have been there's a card which, you know, whatever the colour is, you can only have a red card for serious foul players and if I walk up to Jimmy and punch him that would be a stupid move because I'm a small man but if I do that it's a red and I'm off and my team is down to 14 but if it's another kind of one like the fall incident maybe it's you are black carded and you get your 10 minutes in the bin but I can replace him yeah well that's what I was going to say if you could take something from the guy like you know that cynical play I guess or um, you're not sent off it's not going to it's not going to have it's not going to affect the outcome of the game after 12 minutes yeah. and go right this is a foregone conclusion into into where we're going it's the black card you can replace them maybe have your 10 minutes or whatever as well so the team gets some sort of reward as well but I guess if it's a big player and um, they're gone it's going to still have an impact but but again you're taking each one like it's going to be a tough one to manage that will be. And, and who's going to like how far do you go for that black card do you know like oh some everyone's going to say that's a red and like it's just more debate it's more kind of a rainbow in the pocket yeah <laughs> exactly exactly yeah. Uh, okay, I, I think there's going to be more chat about this. I think yeah. I think you're right. This sets precedent yeah. because, it, because it's such a high profile one. Mm. Um, we'll see. Okay, uh, from Matthew Roddy, here we are. Now start your engines. Do you think Ross Moriarty has a career in MMA or working on the tour after he retires from rugby? Well, I, I, I like I've only seen the incident now before we came on air, and it is not good. <laughs> it's not. It is not good. Um, Can can we describe it for those who haven't seen it? Because Wales-Argentina was not um, on the top of, you know, World Cup going on. It probably wasn't the top of the agenda for a lot of people. Um, But right at the end, it's like the game's over. It's done. I think, Mm. is it an injury time? It's close to it. Yeah, and he takes takes a late, kind of a cheap shot. You know, at the end of the game, Wales had won the game. 
and Moriarty just reacts by the lads on the ground and yeah. just goes up it's and just, it's Sanchez the out half yeah oh Nicholas yeah, yeah Nicholas and Sanchez, he, he just goes in and just locks the sleeper hold on him yeah. and, and picks him up pick, he, he reefs him up from the ground by the neck and he won't let go and that's the key he won't let go even when the even lines when the in, in yeah. Andrew Brace is in saying let go he mm. asks him three times let go let go he won't let go the Argentinian <laughs> medic bails in in fairness he probably they need a little bit of a word but you can understand why yeah. like he puts a ha- he, he, he definitely makes contact with Mariari and then it's the Argent- Argentinian backup missile comes in <laughs> and clears out Mariari but it's mm. that's yeah. but you listen to I thought the referee handled it extremely well he did in his wording to the I was going to say VAR the video <laughs> yeah. I'm watching too much soccer too much yeah. <laughs> bloody VAR um, but it was uh, it was just like my, my assistant referees come in and ask them and he's ignored them pretty yeah. much could, could, could you stop choking yeah. the player yeah, yeah. three times and he won't let go red yeah completely yeah Mind, um, mindless it's, it's I've played with a few players that kind of get a bit of a red mist um, and it's nearly I'm not, I'm not trying to defend them here or anything but it's just a case of some players just have this like they nearly they lose what they're doing and they have this mist of just and then all of a sudden they're back they're out of the room and then they're back and it's like what happened there and like what like this it, yeah. they just go and as I say I've played with a few guys that have been like that and they do stuff that is um, reckless but for, the, for, from, in, this is in the bizarre category yeah it's it. it's surreal but yeah. some people you push a button and they and they flip like I'm sure people know lads who are or ladies who like you can you can push them so far and then when they go they go you know and it can be the smallest thing that can send somebody edge and again I'm not defending him because it's pretty much disgraceful yeah, to be honest. Gonna, like there's no place for that on it. oh completely but it's deservedly so but there's no place for that in the rugby field no. but but some people have that tendency to to just go like that's me when I play Astro uh, <laughs> and I get fouled a few and it's always in the last five minutes and I get fouled or something and then it's just Blow the lip, blow the top, and then at the end, them all handshakes and oh, how are you getting on? And people are like, "You're an asshole." <laughs> yeah, but, that's, but, but there are so many players that are like they cross the whitewash and they just go into beast. Well, I wouldn't say beast mode, but they just go like yeah. on on the edge. And mm. you, I'm sure people can think in their heads of people who are like you know loads, but, yeah. <laughs> but still, it still should be absolutely like just knock that out of the game. Yeah, away. he's gonna def- gonna definitely yeah. cap a few weeks for that. A good few weeks, I'd imagine. Um, before we go, uh, looking at the look forward to the match again. So next week, series decided. We've mm. talked about personnel um, and talked about the uh, some of the key incidents in it. But Ireland have stuff to work on. Not everything was perfect in mm. the second test. Ireland had a lot of trips to that twenty-two, Jimmy. Um, like there's there's room to improve oh of course there is and I think like as Kev had mentioned about the analysis that's been done um, there are certain areas where Ireland can can improve there always is there's always work ons um, again just that start they won't be happy with that start and letting the Aussies in um, so early so softly as well mm. I think mean, they'd be very frustrated yeah, in that pretty much untouched yeah exactly and like just a couple of small little things I think they can work on maybe some oh, some of the pens maybe were a bit frustrating they were giving away like the petulant stuff you can knock that out but it's, they're easy fixes which is the good thing and like, mm-hmm. I've been positive about it we can deal with these certain things and these just have the word keep our discipline don't give the Aussies a sniff uh, don't let them in but in terms of trips to the 22 just a bit more accurate as well once we're in there mm-hmm. I think um, our ball retention was superb at the start the speed of ball we are getting if we can continue that, continue to negate that Pocock Hooper access uh, of slowing down our ball. Once we had quick ball, it was very Leinster-like. It was back to Ireland of kind of the Six Nations in terms of uh, possession, the high percentage, frustrating teams. Hmm. Like if we can keep that up and like starve teams of possession, I, I can see us winning this one two one. I'd love to see us win. I think we will win a two one. That's no prediction. All about predictions. <laughs> there you go. Prediction. Be it right or wrong. Yeah, yeah more confident now. Uh, I couldn't. I couldn't actually call it. People were asking me on Friday before the game, and I couldn't call it. Um, I wasn't as confident in Ireland, but uh, a lot better. Uh, but I actually think it was twenty six, twenty one. I was talking to my dad on the phone for Father's Day there yesterday, and he was saying, "Oh, it's a close game," and I was like, "It, it shouldn't have been that close. Ireland no. should have done them by ten or fifteen points because they were that much better." But uh, so that's. I think that's maybe a true marker of it. And can the Aussies if they go out with the same team again? really put it up to them again the only thing is 
Pocock he, he made his two turnovers in the 22 like when Ireland were near close to the line like so if they can clean that up if yeah if they can just be a little bit more clinical mm. I think they can get this series done yeah and Kev, Kev like you talk about there about that it's that Aussie 23 and this is the whole remit that we harped on about for the last couple of weeks is that strength and depth and this is where it comes to the fore a third test yeah. like first test okay everyone's fresh second okay again we've new lads back in now third test can the Aussies repeat the performances again for a third time hmm. and can we if we have the ability to make these changes one or two lads in perhaps to freshen it up Yeah, and this is where we see kind of uh, World Cup yeah. kind of t- type historic potentially historic Southern Hemisphere mm. series win yeah and very last thing speaking of historic historic yes, yeah. yes 1924 what happened in 1924 Pat was that the depression or was that when they were all partying before no. the depression the depression was the roaring 20s the Gatsby the era yeah exactly yeah. Uh, that's the last time that the USA rugby team oh. beat a tier one nation Oof. until until what yes. happened uh, oh, at the weekends, yeah, Scotland, Gregor Towns of Scotland headed over, Stuart Hogg, captain, a few, good few decent players in the Scotland team, and I think they were 19-6 up, going well, and then the USA came back and absolutely shocked them. Um, this amazing hooker, um, who has his name, pronunciation, I'll get hard wrong, Joe Taufey, uh, scored two brilliant tries, if you haven't seen him, just check it out on YouTube or on Twitter, and and then AJ McGinty ran the show, the the Dublin-born AJ McGinty, con- former Connacht player. Yeah. There's a few kind of ex-Irish, was it there Dylan are, yeah. Fawcett and uh, John Quill? Yeah. yeah, over there too. Yeah, so, yeah. But I, I saw the the conversion. Well, miss I won't. The King horns yeah. at the end, yeah, yeah, and it, you can you can you can see how gutting it is for the Scottish boys in the bench because whatever angle it it has, it's behind the bench and they're just <laughs> you know hands in their heads going, oh my god, like it's it's hard, it's a tough one, tough tough one to take that, you know. No, well done, USA. Yeah. That's good, good for good for rugby when it's not your team that loses. I I loved um I always loved checking out the world rankings, you know the points cause you can mm. see what's going to be calculated and USA got two for that, two for beating Scotland because Scotland were seventh in the world. They haven't moved. They're still in 15th. You would have thought that they would have shot up a few 15? positions, but yeah, down in 15th still. Oh, yeah. Gregor won't be happy. No, you yeah. you definitely won't be. Yeah. Right, we leave it there on uh, our penultimate hard yards <laughs> of the season. All right, we'll have to gear it up for next week. It's a big week. Um, <laughs> make sure to use the hashtag AskTHY if you want to get a question in for next week. Uh, thanks to Pat, Kev, Jimmy, and Paul Warwick. Shane Dempsey was on sound and production assistant. Dermot Cronin helped us today. Uh, we'll be back next Monday with a new podcast. Subscribe to it on iTunes, Podcast Republic, SoundCloud, and every good podcast app to get us straight to your phone. This has been The Hard Yards. I am Andy McGeady. Thank you for listening, and we will talk to you next week. The Hard Yards, brought to you by Sports Joe.